0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. I showed up to Liberty Lisa's graduation party yesterday and was asked, do you think I could get away with bringing my dog to church tomorrow? I said, Probably. Probably once, at least. I don't know about the second time. (laughs) I've heard it said uh, that you enter into ministry when you come out of the baptistry. Now, obviously, that looks different for everyone. That statement does not mean that you're required to go into full-time Christian ministry if you want to claim to be a follower of Jesus at all. Uh, That statement doesn't mean that no matter what age you are, once you come out of the baptistry, you're handed a a job description that's exactly the same for everyone, and you've got to get to work and and fulfill a quota of each year to prove that you actually deserve to uh, be a part of God's kingdom. What that statement is getting at is the fact that when we say yes to Jesus for the first time, uh, with that there comes a calling. A calling that begins with us coming to Jesus. But it continues, like Isaac just showed us, it continues with Jesus sending us out. Sending us out to our friends, our families, our places of work, wherever it might be, with the message of Jesus and a desire to share that message with others through our words and our actions. Uh, The author Henry Nowen says that we always move from communion to community To ministry. And no one asked for my opinion on this, but in my opinion, that a quote would sound a lot better if it was communion to community to commission, because then you've got the alliteration and it's catchy and it's memorable, but that's just my opinion. That book came out the year I was born, so I can't fix all the world's problems, but that one at least came to mind this week that I would like to fix if I could. But anyway, it's still a good quote. We move from communion to community into ministry. We always begin with communion with God through worship. That is our foundation as followers of Jesus. We are unable to fulfill any calling place before us if we do not begin first and foremost with a relationship with God in worship. But from there, we move from communion with God into community with one another. Being a part of the family of God does not just mean having a relationship with God, our Father. It also means having a relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. We need the other people in this room, both in worship on Sunday mornings and every other day of the week, if we are going to follow God's will for our life. But the final step of that process is ministry. We have not been called to just cloister together in places like this, and if others want to come join us, that's fine, but we're not making any effort to go out to them. We've been called to love and serve those around us as we participate in the kingdom of God. No matter who we are, no matter when we become a follower of Jesus, no matter what gifts or abilities we might have, the gospel always sends us out. And I say all of that because I believe that's the progression we see in the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be in Acts 6 and 7, and those two chapters really focus in on the character of Stephen. And over the course of those two chapters, we see, we see Stephen follow that very progression, stepping into bigger roles in the story as it goes along, as he testifies about Jesus. And come the end of the story, he looks a lot like Jesus. As Stephen comes into the picture as the early church is beginning to face tension on the inside and persecution on the outside. And as the church navigates those issues, we see people like Stephen begin to step into roles as needed to ensure that the gospel continues to go forth into the world. And so let's begin by reading Acts 6, 1-7 to this morning. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing... Stephen enters the story of Acts as a solution to a problem. There was conflict in the early church between uh, Hebraic widows, widows who have lived in the land of Israel their entire lives, and Hellenistic widows, widows who are Jewish uh, in in faith and and have come to believe in Jesus, but who are ethnically uh, Greek and have moved into the land of Israel in their older age. And this is important because widows in the ancient world had no social safety nets, they didn't have government programs, they were dependent mainly on their family to take care of them, and if they don't have family around, they fall into destitution pretty quickly. And so, the early church, like we saw back in Acts chapter 2 a few weeks ago, they make it a priority to care for those among them who have need. But tension starts to build uh, when those who are Hellenistic, those who are ethnically Greek, feel like they aren't receiving the same level of care as those who are ethnically Greek. Hebrew. And that might seem like a minor issue to us as we read, but this has the potential to create all sorts of division. As the church grows, these Greek widows, those from other parts of the world, those who dress differently, those who speak a different language as their primary language, those who look a little different, they feel like they aren't being taken care of as well as those uh, who are Hebrew, those who are from this part of the world, and, and all the leaders in the church at this point are are Hebrew. And so the apostles appoint these seven men, and all seven of them that they appoint have Greek names, which suggests that they're from uh, the same ethnic group, the same people group as these widows, and those seven are appointed to care for them. And it's in this service that we are introduced to Stephen. The apostles make sure all people are cared for in a way that produces unity. They don't split the church along uh, ethnic lines so that everyone can just take care of their own and, and keep the peace. They, they act as one body to appoint a group of people and equip them to take care of the most vulnerable among them so that everyone can be cared for and at the same time so that the preaching of the gospel is not hindered. And we aren't told much about Stephen's uh, background or how he first became a believer in Jesus or anything like that. And so I won't spend time speculating on what was happening in the life of Stephen before we get to Acts chapter 6. But what we see from this group of seven appointed to serve right here is that they are stepping into service. For the church to be fully what God created them to be, it was necessary for this group of seven to step forward into service. So I don't know the exact timeline of Stephen coming to faith in Jesus, how long until he stepped into this role of service, and really it's not that relevant for the story as a whole. But what we see here is Stephen and the other six listed, seeing a need and stepping forward to meet that need. And that same reality is present in the church at all times. Last Monday night, we had a group of people here at the church to learn about uh, the ways they can serve around this building on Sunday mornings. And I don't mention that. I don't mention those people because they were the, the, be- the, the best and the brightest. I don't mean to burst any bubbles if you were here. Um, or that they are the, this elite group of super spiritual people or something like that. But because it is that same pattern of wanting to step into a situation where there is a need so that the church as a whole can thrive. My guess is that most of the people who were here and who serve around here week to week would say that what they do is not all that essential to what goes on here on a Sunday morning. Someone else could do their job. Someone else could fill in. If I wasn't here, no one would notice. And that's because of the humility of those people. But this church needs people each week around here doing things like making sure parents know where to drop their kids off and where to pick their kids up. We need people who are at the front door welcoming people who are maybe here for the first time to let them know that they are welcome here and can be a part of this family. And those things are essential to making sure that God's people can thrive. That might seem minor. It might not seem like a dictionary definition of ministry, but those are necessary things to help all of us thrive as one church. And that's a natural step forward as we go into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Because the gospel sends us out towards service. And I know coming from the preacher, that might sound a little self-serving, like I've got some secret agenda that I need all of you to volunteer for so that I can get what I want. But that's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I say that because Jesus doesn't invite us into his kingdom to be a spectator. He invites us into the kingdom so that we can join in the game ourselves. Jesus came to this earth to serve those around him. And so as his people, as we follow Jesus, whether that's here in this building or whether that's with one of the ministries we partner with that operates somewhere else, whether that's somewhere else entirely that I haven't come up with yet, my hope is that following Jesus would lead all of us to have a heart of service. And that leads to being sent out into the world to serve those around us in light of how Jesus has served us in coming to earth. That's the progression that takes place in the life of Stephen. As he first steps into this role of taking care of widows, and then as we keep reading his story, we see how that becomes a step into more and more opportunities to, to point towards what Jesus has done. And as, we, as he does that, we see God use him in a way that's not necessarily a part of the job description for this role that he is first appointed to or the logical next step in his life or something like that, but a step that shows Stephen's faithful service to Jesus. As he steps into the opportunities that are in front of him, as Luke focuses in from uh, this group of seven down into how God uses Stephen specifically. And so let's read the rest of Acts chapter 6, picking up at verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They, they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They, pro- they produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The gospel sends us out. And for Stephen, the gospel sends him out towards proclaiming the name of Jesus. Like I said earlier, I don't think Luke is laying out a a blueprint for all of us to follow step by step. but, But Luke is showing us that what happens when the gospel takes root in one person's life and as they use the gifts that God has given them and the opportunities that are before them for the sake of God's kingdom... Luke doesn't tell us this for certain, but it seems reasonable based on what we're told that Stephen at least had some sort of prior connection with the people of this synagogue before he becomes a follower of Jesus. Uh, In the Roman Empire, the freedmen were a class in society of those who had previously uh, been enslaved or their ancestors had been slaves and then they had gained their freedom. And Luke mentions that the people who make up this synagogue originate from places outside of Israel, and we mentioned already Stephen had... Having a Greek name at least, at least makes it likely that he is also not originally from this part of the world. He has some sort of Greek background, so there seems to be at least some sort of connection between Stephen and the people who he is riling up in this synagogue because they have not accepted Jesus. But regardless of that connection between Stephen and these people, he presents Jesus to them as the fulfillment of, the old, of what the Old Testament was anticipating. And that's a, a pattern we see time and time again throughout this book And opposition begins to mount. These Jewish people who do not believe in Jesus, they they debate with Stephen, they try to prove him wrong, but they can't hold a candle to Stephen in their theological debating. But notice what Luke says. Look closely there. He does not say that they couldn't stand up against Stephen's wisdom because Stephen was a brilliant guy and he was so smart and we were so grateful to have him as a part of our church. He says... There in verse 10, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Maybe Stephen was the captain of the debate team in high school. I I don't know. We're not told because that's not the point. The point Luke wants us to see is the power of the Holy Spirit at work through him as he presents the message of Jesus. We saw this last week with Peter as well as as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, as he speaks before the Sanhedrin, we notice that as well. And that same thing is happening here with Stephen. But if you notice, it's a progression from one of the twelve apostles out to someone else who was not originally one of the first followers of Jesus. The gospel sending people out. Not just the ultra-spiritual ultra who have the inside track because, because they had the benefit of getting to be one of Jesus' best friends, but anyone who believes in Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit... The point Luke wants us to see here is not to be impressed with Stephen's boldness or his public speaking ability. The point is for us to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in someone as they proclaim the name of Jesus. In John 14, verses 25 to 27, Jesus is speaking with the disciples. It's at the Last Supper. It's just hours before he's arrested. And he tells them, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the, Holy, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The story of Stephen is one expression of that teaching from Jesus being fulfilled, As the presence of the Holy Spirit enables Stephen to share the message of Jesus with an audience, even as they grow more and more hostile. And as that happens, as as the crowd realizes they can't beat Stephen in a theological debate, you would think that as we read this story, the conclusion would be to agree with Stephen. That would seem to be the logic of the situation. But that's not what happens. Instead, a plot starts building to get rid of Stephen. Stephen which transitions us into what will be the last scene of Stephen's story in the book of Acts. False witnesses are produced, words are put in Stephen's mouth to get him in trouble with the religious authorities, and through all of those lies and commotion, Luke tells us Stephen is there and his face is like the face of an angel. Just a little hint, in case we haven't picked up on it yet, that even though Stephen is being drugged through the mud right now, no matter how in control the religious authorities around him think they might be, Stephen ultimately will be the one who comes out of will come out victorious. And if we're reading the rest the story of Stephen with the rest of the New Testament in mind, we're going to start to notice some parallels. I already mentioned that we see a pattern develop in the missionary journeys of Paul where he goes into a city Uh, He will speak in the synagogue. Some people will listen to him and believe in Jesus. Some people will not like him. That eventually gets Paul in trouble, and then he has to go somewhere else, and then usually the cycle starts again. But right here, that pattern shows up before Paul ever begins his ministry with the work of Stephen. And we're also going to start to notice some parallels with someone else. If we're reading the book of Acts, as Luke originally composed it, as the sequel to the Gospel of Luke we would maybe remember someone else who got themselves in trouble with the religious authorities of his day. And after some public debates with those religious leaders, the, those leaders started scheming behind the scenes to get rid of him. And one of the accusations against that, that man was, was he was trying to get rid of the temple and the law of Moses. And those parallels are beginning to be introduced here in what we've already read, but they become even more apparent at the end of the story, so I probably shouldn't give all that away just yet if you haven't figured it out by now. In the midst of all these false accusations, Stephen is brought before the Sanhedrin, just like Peter and John were in the story we looked at last week, and he's asked to give a defense of himself. But he doesn't exactly do that. Uh, We're not going to cover every single detail of Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7 this morning, but essentially Stephen walks through the entire Old Testament. Uh, He highlights some of the key points along the way in order to make really two big points. First, the point he makes is that God is bigger than the temple. The criticism levied against Stephen was that he was speaking against the temple by talking about Jesus. And so, he walks through these events in the lives of people like Abraham and Moses where God showed up and worked long before the temple was ever built in order to show that God never needed the temple to work in the world to begin with. And because that's the case, Stephen Stephen, presents the argument that no one should be shocked at the fact that God is at work now through Jesus and his people apart from the temple. And second, he shows how the nation of Israel has routinely rejected leaders who were sent by God. How they chose other leaders, they chose other gods to worship instead of the one true God and the people that he appointed throughout their history. And he shows that they are doing the exact same thing as their ancestors in his day through their rejection of Jesus. And so we'll pick up in the text as Stephen gets to the end of that speech, making that whole case that God. you you say to all the people who are in charge of the temple that God's bigger than the temple and you're just as bad as all your ancestors were who, who tried to kill all the prophets. Um, it's not a great message, Uh, it's not going to be received all that well, and so we pick up in Acts 7.54 with how they react to this. Luke says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, 'I, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And Saul approved of their killing him. You always find out someone's true character uh, when you catch them off guard and put them under stress. One of my professors once said in class that that if it was possible, uh, when churches would bring in a candidate to be their new preacher, they should should always have them uh, preach a trial sermon on Sunday morning and then on Sunday afternoon, you should have a church-wide softball game. And then at some point during that game, if you, could, if you could coordinate it and make it possible, the church should find an opportunity to where there's a close play involving the candidate to be the new preacher. Let's say he's running to first base after he's hit it, and he is safe by just a hair, but they should call him out. Because when you do that, that's when you find out truly what kind of person someone is. I mean, anyone can fake being a good guy for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. I mean, I convinced all of you to hire me for crying out loud. But but when you're put under stress, when things don't go your way, who you truly are at your core comes out. When Stephen was being put to death because of what he believed about Jesus... There was no time to gather himself, compose his thoughts, write them down, write a rough draft, and then revise that draft and prepare his defense. This is the natural overflow of the life he had lived with Jesus. But before we get to all of that, Stephen riles up the crowd by saying that he sees heaven open and he sees Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. It might seem like Stephen's by himself before this crowd of religious leaders. It might seem like everyone has abandoned him, but Jesus is standing. Jesus is standing in solidarity with him. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God the Father, prepared to welcome Stephen into his reward for boldly standing for Jesus in the face of opposition. And the natural result of being sent out by the gospel means being sent out to look like Christ. Following Jesus is not always a perfect upward trajectory where we, we're always just constantly getting better and life is getting better. But over the course of our lives, walking with Jesus should cause us to grow to be more like Jesus. And that doesn't guarantee that for each of us there's going to be a dramatic moment uh, where we, like what Stephen has here, where we get to look exactly like Jesus... But Luke gives us a really clear picture here of what that looks like, as he highlights a lot of the same things going on in Stephen's death that he also highlights about the death of Jesus. If we read this passage we just read, alongside Luke 23, verses 32 to 49, where Luke gives us his account of Jesus' death on the cross, we would notice that in both, uh, the person losing their life makes a request to God to not hold those putting them to death responsible for the sin they are committing. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Then we also see with both of them a request for God to receive their spirit. Jesus', Jesus last words in Luke are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Stephen says something very similar. And Luke wants us to notice these parallels, not because he thinks Stephen was just as great as Jesus, but as a demonstration to us that Stephen is following the footsteps of his Savior. And that call is the same for each and every one of us today as we walk with Jesus. Not that we have to go out looking to get ourselves in trouble, but that wherever we go, as we look back over the course of our lives, we can see how our character and our behaviors are coming more and more into conformity with the way of Jesus. And when we go where the gospel sends us, wherever that might be, the result is that we end up showing Jesus to others. There's a little nugget right there at the end of Stephen's story that we can miss if we're not paying attention. There's a man overseeing all of this named Saul. We're told in, in 758 that everyone is laying their coats at Saul's feet, which indicates that he's more or less in charge of the situation. Uh, by, by letting everyone lay their coats down at his feet. He's saying, if we get in trouble, if the Roman authorities find out about this and complain about it, I'll deal with it. You don't have to worry about it. I'll take the heat from Rome. And we'll hear more about this Saul here in a few weeks because he's not done dealing with Jesus and the people who believe he's the Messiah just yet. Actually, he'll be confronted by Jesus himself before long. And when that happens... He will go from the one overseeing the persecution of Christians to the one being persecuted for the cause of Christ. But that's a sermon for two weeks from now. You'll have to come back then. In the meantime, we're left to deal with the death of Stephen. Now, in the eyes of the world, the life of Stephen is a tragedy. Stephen was a nice young man. He had a lot going for him. He was well-liked by those around him. People really seemed to get along well with him. He, he just just got a little too wrapped up in Jesus. You know, if, if he would have just known how to keep his mouth shut, he'd still be around today. The Sanhedrin said, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to put you to death, and he just couldn't keep his mouth shut. You would think Stephen would have a little more sense, and he could, he would just, if he would just would have handled it a little better, he'd still be here today. What a loss, what a tragedy that this young man lost his life. In the eyes of the world, the story of Stephen's a tragedy. Being sent by the gospel is never a tragedy, no matter what the end is. Think about what we do with our money. Choosing to do without the latest and greatest technology and clothes and stuff because you've chosen to devote money that could have gone to those things to kingdom causes instead is not a tragedy. It's giving up things that are temporary so that eternal things can thrive. Think about what we might do with our time this summer. That kids missing a week of ball games because they're up at Pine Haven is not a tragedy. It's giving up a good thing so that they can take hold of the best thing instead. Think about what we might do with our careers or our futures one season of our life or our entire lives. Choosing to devote a portion of our life or our entire lives to service in the kingdom is not a tragedy where you're missing out on greater fulfillment or a higher salary or a bigger home. It's following the calling of our God who sends us out in response to what he has done in Jesus. I don't know what God is saying to each and every person who can hear my voice right now, but I am confident if you believe in the gospel of Jesus, you are being sent. You are in the ministry, whether you recognize it or not. And so my challenge to each of us is to follow where God is leading us, wherever that might be, whatever that might look like, so that others can know Christ. Let's pray. God, it is astounding not only what you have done in Jesus' as he came to this earth to die for sinners like us so that we might be raised to new life. But that also you invite us in. You invite us into relationship with you. You invite us in to be a part of your church. You invite us in so that we too can go out and share your love with the world around us. And Father, that looks different for each and every one of us. And so our prayer is simply that you would help us listen to where you are leading. Wherever you might send us, may we be obedient to that call. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, may we do it for your glory. May your kingdom advance. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that your name might be made great in this world. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.